verses 5 through 6. Uh, I'll be reading this, and we will respond with uh, thanks be to God altogether. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, we are talking about the house of the Lord. And, and I wonder, um, you know, probably there's no more important concept or important thing in our lives than home. And, and for a lot of us, I mean, you know, getting a house is one of the ultimate things that, that, that we uh, search for, that, that we are aiming for, right? It's one of the reasons why a lot of us work. And, you know, it is this longing uh, for a, a, a place to stay. And, of course, you know, some homes can be bigger than others or fancier than others. But that core concept of home is something that I think is really, really important for a lot of us. Um, it definitely was important for uh, the people of God, for the people of Israel. And it's a theme that you see recur all the time in this longing for particularly what we call the house of the Lord. And so we see that in today's passage that we read that talks about uh, preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies, this blessing, the anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the house of the Lord, friends? And why is that important? Because you might be thinking, well, Pastor Steve, wouldn't the house of the Lord been different for David, you know, who uh, uh, wrote this psalm, than for us in 2022 America, right? You know, was he talking about the temple? Was he talking about something else? Well, friends, I think it's helpful for us to kind of take a look at some scripture around the house of the Lord. Would that be okay? It's going to be a little bit, it might seem like a diversion, but I think this is important. I want you guys to see what the house of the Lord is. And maybe you're wondering, what is the house of the Lord, Pastor Steve? Uh, Well, if you're wondering that, I'm glad you asked because we're going to explore that. And so I do want to take a look at uh, uh, some scripture. First of all, Psalm 84 um, this is actually, uh, uh, we, we sang uh, this song, or this psalm in song form, in a Better Is One Day. Uh, the lyrics come directly from Psalm 84, where it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Do you guys know what that means, the courts of the Lord? Uh, in the temple, there was this very big space. It was the biggest space in the temple, the kind of the outer area. Uh, that was enclosed by walls, and it was called the Court of the Gentiles. And, and that's probably what they're talking about here. Uh, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Um, even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So you see this idea of uh, the, the house of the Lord is something that the people of Israel have longed for, right? They long for more than anything else. Their flesh cries out for it. They want it so badly. The question is, why? 
Why is it so important? And you see a hint here in verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Uh, This idea of home as being a place of safety. Um, we're going to see these different things about, you know, the house of the Lord. It is meant to be a home, a home where we dwell with God, right? And so uh, I'm going to ask that question again. Why is home so important? And we're going to see some of these things, themes come out. These are universal themes, but they're going to come out in the scripture we're going to look at. And so first of all, uh, so there, there's three different things I want to talk about when it comes to why home is so important to us. Uh, and, and a lot of these things, you know, you could probably figure out on your own. You, you probably feel this just uh, on just a visceral level. Uh, home is a place of safety and rest. And so this is a scene from Forrest Gump. And the soldier is wounded in the middle of this chaotic battle. And he says, I want to go home. We all understand that, don't we? There's none of us who are like, why, why would you say that? We get that. That home is a place of safety, right? It's a place uh, where you can rest, where, you know, there's not going to be enemies around. There's not going to be threats. And we, we talked about this uh, uh, last week, especially, this idea that, yes, you know, it, it, it's a place of safety from real threats. But there's also threats that we can't see. And threats that... Uh, you know, could be kind of in your mind, and we may not even know what those threats are, but we experience that as anxiety, right? And so this idea of, of home as a place where we can experience that this kind of like, right, you're just like, oh, like, you know, I'm safe, I'm good, I can rest, right? I, I can fall asleep because I, I don't have to worry about some threat around me. That, that's the hope. That's what it's supposed to be. And I know maybe for some of us, homes aren't always safe, Maybe those threats follow you in. And some of you are like, Pastor Steve, I experience anxiety at home, right? But maybe, you know, for some of us, you experience less anxiety. And maybe for, for uh, perhaps all of us, we long for a place of ultimate safety and ultimate rest where we won't experience anxiety and fear anymore. Second thing is that uh, home is a place of comfort. And so this is probably one of the most famous uh, cinematic uh, phrases. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Uh, she has, you you got to click your heels. You guys have never seen Wizard of Oz? That's your homework. Go, go watch it. <laughs> but Dorothy wants to, she longs for a home because she gets taken to this magical place, Oz, right? And this idea that home is the best place that you can possibly be. There's no place where you're more comfortable, right? There's no place where, where, where you want to be more. And at the end of a long day, you know, you think about all the places you can be. And for many of us, we want the comfort of home. We want the home-cooked meal. We want people who love us. We, we want all the stuff that is familiar and great about home. It, it's like the best place, the third thing is home is a place of confidence and strength. You ever see this? You ever see like uh, an athlete, right, kind of with that bravado, like maybe they bump their chest, right? They thump it. They're like, this is our house, right? What does that mean? If you've ever seen sports, you know that there's something that we call home field advantage, right? That actually odds makers, they'll change the odds based on where a team plays because they know that a team will play better in their home, right? Their locker rooms are used to that, right? Like, like, like they, they can get that home-cooked meal. It's not, right? The arena's not that far from their actual house. 
and, and they just know this place. And everyone there is on their side for the most part. Everyone's wearing the same jerseys. Everyone's cheering for them. And it's a place where you can get this confidence and strength where you can't get anywhere else. Friends, all of these things are true for the people of Israel, right? The people of Israel were under almost constant danger, right? And they were a nomadic people for much of their existence. One of the very first promises that we see as they are becoming the people of God, as they are becoming this nation, not just all of humanity, but with Abraham, right? The the promise, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants more plentiful than the stars, And this promise, hey, go to where I'm leading you. I'm leading you to a good land. This idea of a promised land, a promised home, a place where they wouldn't have all these invaders anymore. They wouldn't have to worry about people trying to conquer them all the time, right? A a place of comfort. You know, you you saw that in the the, the psalm that we read. This is the best place to be with God. I mean, God is the creator, Right? And this idea that God wants to be with his people. One of the things in Israel um, that, that is, is uh, with, with the, 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 the people of Israel that you see in the Old Testament that's emphasized a lot is the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the greatness of God that is so great that it would destroy you. Right? Because we're sinful. We're not God. Right? And it is this wonderful thing that this holy God actually wants the people to live with him, right? And so this longing, it's not just for the safety, but it's this awesome promise. We get to live with our God, right? God is going to be in this temple, and we're going to be in the city of God, together with God. It is this great hope for the people of Israel, a place of confidence and strength. One of the things you see with the people of Israel, we're going to talk about the different manifestations of the house of the Lord, but when they had the tabernacle, this place that would symbolize the presence of God, they would bring it, and they would win every battle. They would win every battle because God was with them. How could they not win every battle, right? Because they got the strength, right? I mean, confidence, well, it's not a human confidence, right? But they knew God was with them. And so, friends, you're going to start to see why this is so important for the people of God. But for the people of God in Israel, it was always centered around a physical place. I want to show you in 2 Samuel 7. It says, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. This is King David, by the way, uh, same person who wrote Psalm 23. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now uh, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Well, what's going on here? So what's happening is that they're starting to settle, right? And, and the hope is that, you know, Jerusalem is going to be their capital city. And David's heart hurts because he's like, I'm in this nice house built of cedar. It's sturdy. It's awesome. And my house is better than the house that God lives in. That cannot be. Because where, where, what the people believed is that they, they were actually told this. They were told... Uh, to um, put the, the, the uh, uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments 
in what is called the Ark of the Covenant, the promise that was made between God, I will be your God, you will be my people, symbolized in the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was put in this Ark, and it was believed that that is where the presence of God was. On the Ark of the Covenant is something called the Mercy Seat. It, it, it's, uh, the, you see these cherubim wings that form what looks like a chair, right? And it's almost like that is the throne of God. And while they were a nomadic people, they would carry this around and it would be housed in a tent. Whenever they would sleep at night, all the people would stay in tents. And so would the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so that's the tabernacle, if you've ever heard of that, right? It's a tent. And so David is lamenting this idea that the Ark of God is still in a tent and he's in an actual house But notice what God says to uh, to the prophet Nathan that very night. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Guys, this is important. Pay attention to this. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Those were the leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So you're starting to see this tension a little bit, right? God is even saying to the people before they build him a more permanent structure, a more permanent house, hey, I never asked for this, right? Maybe there's a a sort of a, a, a hint. This isn't the ultimate plan here, right? I'm not impressed with with a physical space, right? You're going to see more of this. So this is actually, um, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament. And this is a kind of like little mini sermon that Stephen, who's the first martyr, he gives to uh, these, these religious leaders who are ready to kill him for blasphemy because he is preaching Jesus and they don't like it. And he gives this little speech. And part of this speech, he talks about this same concept. So friends, I, I just want to, to show you, this, this is a consistent theme that we are moving to in this new covenant. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. That's the tabernacle, right? Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Again, that was God's plan, right? That, that was the temporary home of the Ark of the Covenant, was this tent. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find the dwelling place for the God of Jacob. We just saw that, right? We just saw that in 2 Samuel. That's the very passage where, we, where, where you see David's hope. And uh, it, it comes out in other places, but that's it, right? But it was Solomon who built a house for him. So David actually never gets to do it. His son does. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophets prophets say. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? What is Stephen saying? He's saying it's kind of ridiculous if you think about it, and it's attested to in Scripture to try to keep God in a house. Doesn't make sense, 
right? Because it says in Scripture, heaven is my throne. The heavens, right? The sky is my throne, right? You think it's this little puny mercy seat? The heavens are my throne. The earth is my footstool. What's a footstool, guys? Right? Can you imagine this is the earth? Right? Look at that imagery, just how big God is. You cannot contain God in this tiny little space. Right? And so, you know, what, what is the place of my rest? You, you think I need this, this, this you know, tent or even like a bigger building, a temple to rest in? Right? Did not my hand make all these things? Everything belongs to me. I'm in control of everything. And friends, you know, this, this might um, be, be something that seems obvious to you, but some of the things that Stephen was saying really, really made the religious leaders mad to the point where they start to murder him. And, and as this is happening, as they are, are just you know, starting to grind their teeth and they're getting their, their, their throwing arms ready to throw some stones at Stephen, um, so, so you see this in verse 54. I, I want you to see what Stephen said this kind of vision he's given. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Those are the the religious leaders at the time. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, into the heavens, into the sky, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And of course, they proceed to murder Stephen. But what is Stephen saying? He's saying that he sees this vision of the glory of God being unleashed. The heavens are opened, friends. Right? And all of that is being made available to us now. With God, through Jesus Christ, it is all available to you now. Why would they murder Stephen for that? Do you know where a lot of the religious leaders got their power? Got their influence? Where? Where? The temple. It was big business. Right? It was everything they built their lives on. And so for Stephen to talk this way, and to even say the house of the Lord is not a physical building. Like you might, you and I in 2022 are like, duh, right? But for them, they're like, Stephen, shut up. Be quiet, man. Don't talk like that. We need the temple. The temple is important. We have to hold on to the temple. And then Stephen's like, I see all of the heavens open. The glory of God is unleashed. You can't hold it back. It is not held by religious professionals. It is not held by institutions. It is being unleashed, right? The ultimate democratization of the glory of God, right? So friends, let me ask you the question. Where is the house of the Lord? The answer has changed over time, right? For the people of Israel, they they thought, now symbolically, we understand this, but for them, it was the tabernacle. It was this tent, Right? And so here you can see it, the tent, and you can even see, it's, it's kind of tiny, but you can see a representation of what would have been, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, and then that changed over time. And then when they moved to Jerusalem with Solomon, the son of David, they built the temple. And it was this really, really just elaborate, really, really just, just you know, impressive thing, right? But in Jesus, the house of the Lord is the kingdom of God. 
which is all around us, right? We see that. You know, already, I mean, of course that wasn't true, that God was contained in a tabernacle or a temple, right? But the understanding that comes in Jesus is that this is just unleashed, right? The house of the Lord is everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. We can't contain it. But friends, how many of you thought when I was going through this progression, right? Tabernacle, temple. How many of you thought I was going to say church? Because friends, you might have been like tracking with me or even been thinking, Pastor Steve, this is really stupid, right? I already knew this. You think I didn't know that God didn't live in a house? Of course not. But friends, what I want to point you to is that even though we may know this intellectually, we haven't stopped looking for a physical space to feel safe, to have all of those things, to feel confidence, to feel power, to feel, uh, 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 you know, like it's like the best place. All of us want that, and we haven't stopped looking. You guys remember uh, when there were people who wanted to follow Jesus? There was a scribe, right, who would have derived their, their power from these places, right, places like the temple, the synagogue, these places, these physical spaces, right? Um, scribe came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And notice what Jesus says to him. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere. Nowhere. No house, right? No roof over his head. No comfortable space with living rooms and dens and a man cave and things like that. Nowhere. Nowhere. And so Jesus' implicit question is, you still want to follow me? Is that good enough for you? Or if I took, take away the temple from you, if I take away your synagogue, your church, would you still be okay with that? Would you still be okay with just following me? Would that be enough? Right? That's the question. And that's the question for all of us because I have to tell you, friends, you know, what I see in a lot of churches, right, and, and I see it in my own heart, is we really do seek the, the, the physical spaces, right? I mean, it's seriously like, like, I think for most churches, it's one of the ultimate idolatries is the church building. You know, and, and, and you know, you, you might be wondering, but Pastor Steve, you know, church, it's biblical. Yes, it's very biblical, right? But look at the early church. Did they have a building? Did they actually have a building where they met? They met in two places. You guys know where they met? Well, one is because they were Jewish. They met in the courts, right? The court of the Gentiles. And they met there, and they worshipped, and they hung out because probably it was a big space, and there's a lot of people praising God. So they went, and they praised God with the people, right? And then they would meet where? People's homes, right? It really wasn't until... um, that, that the entire Roman Empire became Christianized. And all of these old basilicas, these Roman basilicas that were used to worship uh, the, the, the you know, traditional Roman gods, they're just sitting around gathering dust. And then all of a sudden, you had all of these buildings and spaces where you could worship. And the people were very used to worshiping gods there, so why not, why not worship God there? And all of a sudden, you start getting all of these church buildings, Right? And so, friends, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a completely bad thing, right? But what I'm saying is that this idea that that's where God lives or exists, it's not true. 
right? There may be some of us who feel like more holy, you know, coming to church. And I got to tell you, there are many, many reasons to come to church, friends, right? And, and it's a good thing. It is a good reminder of how we are supposed to live together, right? And please, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not telling you church is obsolete. Please do not misunderstand me. But I'm telling you, church is not a building. It's not a place, right? It's not a place you go to Sunday, 11 o'clock, right? It is the people of God, wherever we may gather. And so, of course, ecclesia, right? The called out ones, the kononia, the fellowship, that involves more than one person. So please do not get this twisted. Many, many good sermons we preached about the community of God. It's going to be a consistent theme, right? We are even told, you know, do not neglect to meet together, it's one of the th- things in, in, in the, you know, modern times that it, it, it's getting harder and harder, right? And we have like remote work and remote learning and remote church. And it's just so easy to be like, yeah, Pastor Steve, all the things you said about my house, it's totally true. I want to stay there forever. I don't want to ever leave, right? And we seem to be in a world where, you know, it, it's so easy not to actually meet with people. And friends, please do not... <laughs> Please do not misunderstand this, because sometimes when we talk like this, people, what people hear is, well, I don't need church. Great. I don't have to go to church. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. But please, please do not misunderstand. God is not just at church. The presence of God is not just at church. But how many of us, we talk about how different our experience is Sunday at 11 o'clock than Monday at 11 o'clock. Wednesday, 11 o'clock. So you may have been tracking with me. Intellectually, you're like, Pastor Steve, everything you're saying, I already knew that. I already knew God was everywhere, but we don't live like that. Right? For the people of Israel, there was this real sense of holiness in the temple. And it was so holy that there were certain spaces that many people could not go in. Some people, they could only go in the court of Gentiles. And then there were just more and more spaces that got more and more exclusive until you got to the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a place that was separated by a curtain, and only one person, the high priest, could only go in once a year on Yom Kippur, right? And only on the Day of Atonement could he enter the Holy of Holies. That's how holy it was. And do you guys remember what happens when Jesus dies? Do you guys remember what happens to the temple? There's an earthquake. And the curtain that separates the holy from holies splits. It splits from the top to the bottom. We are told that. Why? Because who can split the curtain from top to bottom? It was bottom up. It's, that's a human being, Right? But top to bottom, it's God, right? The symbolism there is clear, right? No longer are we supposed to have the separation. God, you're too holy. God, you're too holy. You know, and sometimes we act like that. We treat this space on Sundays as very sacred, which, I mean, in many ways it is. But so is Monday morning. So is when you're at work. So is when you're in your commute. So is when you're on the highway And that one jerk who thinks he's better than everyone doesn't want to wait in the line, right, where, like, all the the traffic is merging. And that jerk decides that he is going to merge in front of you no matter what. And he just kind of forces his way. It's either you get an accident or you let the jerk in. 
and you start saying all kinds of things that your mother would blush, God is with you in that moment just as much as he is with you in this moment. That is a reality many of us don't live with, right? But friends, what we have been talking about this entire time is this idea of living in the kingdom of God. What is that? It is not just a physical place, right? This is where we get it twisted. Again, we just get really, really focused on places that are not here, right? The kingdom of God is over there or over there. One of the things that it says in scripture is the kingdom of God is inside of you. And it was so weird to say that, that a lot of uh, the translators of the Bible, they, they try to make it like more vague. And so they say, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I'm sorry, it's not what the Greek says. In the midst of you, it's just like somewhere, you know? No, it says the kingdom of God is inside of you, right? So if you think that the kingdom of God is just like the clouds in the heavens, is the place you go where you die, then that makes absolutely no sense. But if you understand that the kingdom of God is the place where God reigns, right? It's the presence of God. It's the reality of God, that God is with you. Wherever you go, then that starts to make sense, right? We have been so concerned as a church, as a big C church, trying to get people into heaven. But what Jesus was about, as far as I'm concerned, is getting heaven into us, right? Getting the presence of God, the closeness of God. That in that moment that you are super stressed out at work, in that moment when you're at home and you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling like, like, like you're just a cosmic speck of dust. Nothing matters. And, and somehow you're cursed. And your life sucks. And all of these things are going on. In that moment, you know, you know, you know, you know. You know as much as you know that you're hearing the words of my voice. You know as much as you know that you're breathing air. You know in every fiber of your being that God is dwelling with you. We talked last week, and it's part of the whole song, right? That Jesus is with you. Christ is with you, even when you're in your darkest moments. This idea of dwelling with God. I mean, right? That, that's a choice. That's a choice. God wants to dwell with you. He loves you. And he wants to share his life with you. It's not just, I'm somewhere there in some cosmic sense, in some new agey sense. No, I choose to live with you, to share my life with you, every part. There is no separation anymore. And this is the reality that we're living into. We're going to be different people. If heaven, if the kingdom of God is living inside of us, we're going to look different. Our heart is going to look different. Our heartbeat is going to beat differently, right? Our nervous system is going to operate differently. And that's what you see in Psalm 23, right? I think just as we close, friends, I want to close just going over the psalm again because it's so good. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Friends, don't just hear this with, with your mind. Just receive it. Just receive it. Receive this reality. Can this be? Can this be what God really wants for you? It can. Friends, I assure you, it can. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what home is? Maybe like a very rudimentary definition of home. <laughs> At least or, or like your house. It's a place where your enemies aren't <laughs> in most cases right? And it's a place where you can kind of shut people out, right? And this is one of the problems with churches. This is one of the problems with temples. This is one of the problems with physical spaces, is in physical spaces, you can shut people out, right? And you have a physical boundary that's able to keep people out. And oftentimes, that's actually what's keeping you safe, friends. Your security system, your locks, right? That the very sturdy windows you have, that's what's keeping you safe, Right? But when it comes to the house of the Lord, that what we are told is that you can even share a table with your enemies. You can eat a meal with them. Right? And you're safe. You're good. Right? And even in the presence of your enemies, there is this idea of your head being anointed with oil. That this is a symbol of royalty. It's blessing. This idea that when a king was anointed, they, they, they'd like, like, you know, saying, you're going to be the next king, right? And this is the promise. They would take oil and they would put it upon their head. And oil has become a symbol, even for people. There are some people, they use oil uh, still in prayer, in, in, in healing. It's a very common thing. And it's just a way for you to remember that God is blessing you. At least for me, friends, it's just a symbol. It's not, there's nothing special in the oil. But, but just, it, I, I don't know, I, I guess some people, they like this. I, I'm, I'm not one for, like, massage oil. But maybe for some people, you, you, like, you feel that hot oil on your head, you know? And, and it's, like, kind of, like, lubricating your scalp, you know? And maybe that priest is, or that, that person blessing you, they just have their hand on your head. You feel that human touch, you know? And it's like, God is blessing you. God is blessing you. God is blessing you so much that, what, what does it say? My cup overflows. My cup overflows. And it's not just a little blessing, friends. That's the way we feel, I think, so often in this world of scarcity. This is the kind of religion I think most people practice. They're like, you know, it's like a beggar boy, you know, like, like I think of like a Charles Dickens novel. Please, sir, may I have a scrap of blessing Please, just, just a little scrap of blessing, just, just a bread crumb, crumb of blessing. Sorry, my uh, British accent, Dickensian British accent is terrible. Sorry about that. But that's the way we feel, right? God, please, 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 oh God, please. Like God's not going to give it to you. Like you're not already blessed, right? But the blessing, friends, it's not just for your selfish desire. The blessing is the ultimate blessing, the kingdom of God within you. There's nothing better, right? And in that, you can be ultimately blessed. You can experience that. That's Jesus' ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's available to you. Walk into it. You don't need to be some religiously elite. You don't need to go to the temple and do a million different sacrifices. Why do you guys think that they killed Jesus? It's too much democracy, too much freedom, right? To, to do away with all of these rituals, 
Right? Again, please do not misunderstand. There's many, many reasons why we should meet together. We are a symbol of Christ unto each other. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. But friends, I'm telling you, the presence of God is everywhere you go. But it's not manifest. We're not experiencing it. This is what we are living our lives to do. And if we can live in this reality, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How do we live into this reality, friends? Can I just give you one, maybe two practical pieces of advice? The first one, it's going to seem maybe not that encouraging, but I want to assure you that I think is the first step. The first thing I think we need to do is we need to stop looking for the presence of God, for blessing, for the house of the Lord, for any of these things that all of us are just chasing after, right? This feeling of safety, comfort. We need to stop looking for it in things, in physical spaces, people, or anything that this world will offer, it will never give it to you. It will never give it to you, right? You could live in the nicest of homes with the best security system, right? And you could still be racked with anxiety. I know, I know, it's happened to me. And and so many people attest to this, right? It's not going to give you the sense of safety, ultimate safety, that the kingdom of God, that the knowledge, that the real knowledge that God is with you can give you, right? So in many ways, we've got to stop looking for that, right? And and so for many of us, friends, I'm not telling you that these things aren't good, right? But they're not ultimate. And so what usually we do is we search for those things first. After I get the house, after I get the job, after I get the promotion, after I get the safety, after I get the person, after I get the vacation, then God. <laughs> right? Isn't that what most of us do? Right? We, we got to stop kidding ourselves into thinking that you're going to find all the things that your heart, your soul really, really craves and wants in those things. And the second thing that I, I think we can do, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that everything else will follow after that. If you get that first, everything else will come. I want to kind of like sort of like not really correct, but add to something I said last week. Last week, I mentioned this idea that when you're in the deepest, darkest place, that's a place of imagination. And it's a place where you can't see. So a lot of us, we start to freak out. And what our minds like to do is it likes to make up stories, right? So we get really, really obsessed with processing, right? I got to process this. I got to understand this. But the funny thing is, is that if you're in deepest darkness, you literally can't see. You don't know what's going on, right? And so one of the things I said last week is that when you are in that place, you should not try to process. It's not going to help you. Right? All it's going to do, it's going to give you, I mean, you might get a little dopamine hit when you feel like you've made a connection, right? but that connection may actually be wrong. Right? You can be like, it's my, it, it's my mom's fault, right? or it's his fault, or whatever. Like, and, and that story could make sense to you, and because you feel like, like, like you're, you're starting to understand the story, it makes you feel a little bit better, but you're still in darkness. Right? That's still the reality. Right? And so what I said is, instead of trying to process everything, what we need to do is learn how to just give that to God. Just give it up. Surrender it. Right? Whatever you're feeling, whatever that, that story is that you're forming, just give it up. 
It's not helping you, right? And, and what I want to kind of add to that, friends, is that I'm not saying that processing is ever a wrong thing to do. What I'm saying is that when you're in the deepest, dark, darkest place, it's not the first thing you should do, <laughs> right? The first thing you should do is come to a place where you know there's actually a light with you, right? That's the reality of the kingdom of God because you're not going to panic anymore. You're not going to freak out. You're not going to make up stories. When you know that you're fully psychologically safe, then that's when you can do your best thinking, right? And so, friends, in that same way, what we are saying is not that you should, that, that, that you should like, never have a house, right? Or never have, like, nice things or whatever. I mean, friends, if you want some nice things, like, like it's okay as far as it goes. Don't make that your God, though. Don't make that the ultimate thing. Don't chase that first, right? Because a lot of times we chase it with this ferocity, like, I need it! I need it! If I don't have it, like, something's going to be missing, right? I'm going to be missing out. I'm not going to have that home. I'm not going to have that safety. I'm not going to have that ultimate reality, right? And friends, when you have the ultimate reality, when you have the kingdom of God within you, then all of that stuff, you just don't hold on to it as tightly. You can have it or not have it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all, but it doesn't matter too much. Right? You can enjoy it for what it is. Like, hey, nice house. Right? It's not like, oh, this is everything, because that's going to fade, friends. It's not going to last. Right? And so seek the kingdom of God first, and everything else will be added unto that. You're going to do much better thinking in the kingdom of God. Right? You're going to do much better seeking in the kingdom of God. You'll be much wiser about what you seek after. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so, friends, you know, um, there are many, many ways that we can do that. But I think when we stop looking to the world or any external thing to be your ultimate thing, your ultimate place of home and comfort and safety, and we say to God, God, I want you. I want you. I want you and only you. You, you, you. Right? Like the scribe, where Jesus says, is it just enough to follow me that we can say yes, or I want to know that reality? Right? That's when things really start to happen in your soul. Can I ask Hadam to come up? Because I, I just want to take a moment to reflect. You know, I, I know this kind of signals the end of the message, and it is. But can we just take a moment to just kind of soak in this, friends? And maybe those two things that I mentioned at the end... You can just kind of sit with for a moment. What are you seeking? And what do you think it's going to do for you? Do you think it's going to give you an ultimate sense of home? Is that what you've been hoping for? Because friends, I'm not telling you anything that isn't, un, that isn't true. It is going to disappoint you. You're going to find that out one way or another, right? Through your own life. Or you're just going to see glimpses of it. And you're going to see enough to say, I know it's not that. And then the second thing, do you want the kingdom? Do you want to dwell with the Lord forever? Do you want goodness and love and blessing to follow you all the days of your life? I'm not talking about worldly blessing. I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about the very presence of God. God living with you, with you. You're not alone. In an ultimate sense, 
You are in union with God. You are never going to be alone again. You have the ultimate power of the universe in every universe living within you. That is what is being offered to you, friends. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater. I mean, seriously, our little sports car, our vacation, our house, all those things brought. Is that better than ultimate reality, ultimate love, ultimate peace, ultimate blessing living within you, with you all the time? All the time. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Precious God, we confess, Lord, that we have been too easily bought off by this world. And God, we have so many different symbols for what is going to make us feel whole and safe and give us comfort, God. What's going to be the best thing, Lord. But God, there is no one like you and what you offer us to live in the house of the Lord forever. And even when our last, last breath is breathed in this plane of existence, we will wake up in the new reality, in the new heavens, in the new earth. That is the promise you're giving us. We will dwell with you forever. God, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, as we learn to have our appetite for the kingdom awakened, that we will learn to stop looking at the world for what it cannot give us. And we will look at your, gaze upon your kingdom, gaze upon your son, gaze upon all that you offer us, and that you will awaken in us that desire to seek above all else the kingdom and your righteousness. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you, God, for this incredible gift. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.